Please uh, open your Bibles in Matthew chapter 2. In your bulletins, this is, in, uh, this is noted as in the page uh, 1112 or 1112. Matthew 2. This is the very well-known story of the wise men that came seeking Jesus. And we are going to read uh, verses 1 through 12 of Matthew 2, verses 1 to 12. Hear now, congregation, the reading of God's holy and inspired word. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came, from, came to, the, to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled on all Jerusalem with him. And when he got, had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me, that I may come and worship, and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their, tre uh, their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed from their own country another way. So far, God's uh, word. Now, congregation, I aim to you that you shall have your Bibles open because I'm going to uh, signal several things here in the passage today. But before doing that, shall we come in prayer to our Lord? Uh, Father, we thank you for your word and thank you for... Um, this uh, evening. We ask you please open our hearts, open our uh, minds so we can understand but also we can apply what we hear in your word this evening. Please bless us this time with uh, listening ears and with open hearts for your glory. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Now dear congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, perhaps you are wondering uh, this evening right now Christian why are you reading us a portion who is fitting for Advent is this an Advent uh, passage is this an Advent sermon uh, perhaps perhaps not the reason why 
I decided to exhort in this passage is because recently we began to read with my family in family devotions again the Gospel of Matthew. So we read chapter 1 and we read chapter 2 and I was struck. I was very impressed by I, I, what I read here in chapter 2. So I wasn't able to think in any other passage. I wasn't even able to uh, take away this passage from my mind. And that's why I decided, you know, I'm going to exhort in this very special chapter that has a very special uh, place in my heart this evening. So let me just give you a small introduction of uh, this book so you can gain a, a small understanding of why I was so struck by, by this portion. In the first place, uh, the book of Matthew has uh, a very interesting beginning. Have you noticed that? Matthew relates to us the genealogy of uh, Jesus Christ. That is, from the beginning of the book, from the very start, Matthew tells us the subject of the book. That is, Jesus Christ. But also, he tells us something more specific. He tells us about the family tree of Jesus Christ. For example, if you go back to Matthew chapter 1, just a page back, and you see verse 1, what does it say? It says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David and the son of Abraham. Matthew here is highlighting two very important characters for a Jew and for anyone who is familiar with God's unfolding plan of redemption. Abraham and David, as you know, are uh, two very familiar figures in the Bible uh, that resemble the important promises that God has made to his people. To Abraham, he said, you will have many descendants. To David, he said, there will be a king who will rule over that descendants. So Matthew starts his gospel in a way that reminds his readers that God has bound himself in promises, in his word. That is why if uh, we were a first century Jew and we are reading this, for us will be, wow, this is the book about the Messiah. Therefore, Matthew is very concerned about the fulfillment of God's promises. And this is why Matthew has this big entrance in chapter 1. And next, he relates to us that uh, there is a visitation of an angel to Joseph. And he says uh, to Joseph that his son, the son of Mary, will be the long-expected expected king. And again, Matthew shows us how God's word is being fulfilled. Matthew explicitly, explicitly tells us uh, at the end of chapter 1 that he is, namely Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. In other words, Matthew again is telling us about the fulfillment of God's promises. Now, let me ask you this. When we come to this chapter 2, what do we see, congregation? Isn't it true that Matthew is highlighting here again the same reality? That this Jesus is the long-promised king? 
And if you look in your bulletins tonight, you will see that that's exactly the theme of my sermon. Jesus, the long-promised King. Now, perhaps you are wondering now, how is this a picture of Jesus as a king? Christian, why are you saying that? Explain to me. So let me reply to you this evening that the text itself shows us that Jesus is this king. First, by contrasting um, Jesus with a false king. And we see that in verses 1 to 8. And secondly, we see that by, uh, the text is showing us Jesus being worshipped by the nations, verses 9 through 12. So this evening we have two points. First, contrasting Jesus with a false king, verses 1 through 8. And second, showing Jesus being worshipped by the nations, verses 9 through 12. Let us see then our first point, contrasting Jesus with a false king. Look with me, uh, verse 1 and 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Here we find, congregation, very interesting information because Matthew is telling us much more than a simple um, birthplace. Now, notice this. Matthew is very sober in the way in which he depicts uh, the birth of Jesus. I mean, we have the angels appearing to uh, the shepherds, for sure, and we have them coming to Jesus and worshiping him, and for sure they were talking to others about this Jesus. But my question is, where is the other people? Where are the parades? Whereas, where are the people from Jerusalem coming down to see this uh, new, newborn king? Where are they? After all, this is not something simple, isn't it? This is the long-promised king. He just was born. Where is the people? Why we don't see the crowds here? Should we understand that this silence in Matthew's gospel concerning the Israelites and the people from Jerusalem implied to us that the people just ignore Jesus? That they ignore the shepherds, Simeon and uh, Hannah? Perhaps that's the case. The whole Israel, besides those few exceptions, are in a spiritual slumber. But now also Matthew presents us a figure that stands in direct contrast with Jesus. Is the figure of Herod. Now, who is this person and why is he called king? You see, congregation, if we were living in uh, Matthew's time or in Jesus' time, perhaps we will be easy to understand what is going on here. And we will be able to answer these questions. But since we are far away from this text, perhaps it's necessary for us to understand who Herod was, was in, in a very brief manner. In the first place, we need to understand that Herod was a great politician. He knew how to gain political power. 
he knew how to bend himself in very subtle ways. So he is always in uh, the winner's place. He was thirst of power. He sent to kill many people, including uh, his uh, brother-in-law, just because. Every person in Jerusalem knew that if you mess with Herod, you will have problems. And if you were more powerful than him, he will be able to play a game with you until he defeats you. But not only that, Herod was also powerful, very much powerful, because he was appointed king of Judea by the emperor himself. So he was very well related with Rome. This is his background, his own advantage, his cleverness. In Herod congregation, we see a worldly king, a king that is a good politician, capable of every possible horror just to make some profit of, of it. Now, just think on this for a second. On the one hand, Matthew presents to us Herod, or yeah, Herod as a king. But before that, in what we see in chapter 1, Matthew has presented us a picture of a real king. A king not according to the purpose of, of, of men. A king born not because uh, of some political deliberation, but a long-promised king by God himself. Indeed, Matthew has presented us a king who was born because of the promises of God, according to heavenly authority and to save his people from sins. We find all of this in chapter 1. And therefore, in chapter 2, we find this figure of Herod fighting against this heavenly king, against this true king. Now, look also something else. It is very telling that as soon as Matthew tells us about this uh, king who was born, the very first people that comes uh, to visit the king are not the Israelites. Isn't that interesting? The same people to whom belong the promises of God, to whom the prophets spoke about the King Messiah. These people are the very same people who doesn't have a clue about what's going on here. It is not the Israelites, the, one who the ones who come to ask about Jesus, but some Orientals, some wise men that were separated from the people of God. Now let me ask you, isn't this magnificent? Isn't this great? that some people outside of the covenant of God, some people who were cast out of Israel, is the same people that God, that God shows mercy to. Because God has shown mercy to them right here and right now, these wise men are really wise. They have come looking for Jesus, and he is real wisdom. Therefore, they are pagans or heathens, no longer. They had found him. And it is God who was, has awakened this curiosity on them by sending the star. Now, perhaps you are wondering, Christian, why are you doing this? Why, how do you know all of this? Because congregation verse 2 says that the wise men were in search of Jesus. For what? To worship him. 
This is a change in their minds from idols to the living God. And we should be rejoicing in the fact that this person is here because we also were cast out. We also were outside of the covenant people. We also were without hope in this world. Oh, congregation, but God, he showed mercy. He made his star, Jesus, shine upon us and our hearts. And so it is because of Jesus that we can worship him again as our king. Now look with me again, verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled on all Jerusalem with him. This is a very interesting reaction, isn't it? The great King Herod is worried. I mentioned before that Herod was a great politician, and he was. He did very great, great things to uh, gain power, horrible, horrible things. But now he is hearing now, oh, there is another king. Now what? Just imagine the scene. Is he anger? Is he fearful? Oh, I need to fight again for power. How can this be? But notice this. He is not surprised. He knows about the promises of God to his people. Now, how do I know that? Well, in the first place, we kind of know that because he was the king who embellished the temple. Remember that. He was acquainted with um, Israelites' customs. And when he hears the news of a king, he knows he is in troubles. He knows that his ruling is in danger. So we have to ask here, now what, Herod? What are you going to do? Look with me, verses 4 through 6. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will be shepherd, who will shepherd my people, Israel. Here we see more clearly uh, that Herod indeed knew about the promises of God. Just pay attention to this. He first of all gathers the scribes, the ones who know more than him, the, the ones who were familiar with the Hebrew Bible, and second of all, Herod asks explicitly, where is this Christ going to be born? Therefore, we, we should understand he was not only familiar, but he was also very concerned by these promises. He, when he gathers this information and we, when he hears this, then he does what any other uh, politician will do. He calculates the risks, he consults, and he starts a war. Now, we should ask, against whom is Herod fighting? The answer, congregation, is against the promised king of God. Herod here is doing what every unbeliever in this world will do. Having known the, known the truth of God, having known the truth of the gospel, 
He doesn't react in repentance or in submission to the real king. But he fights against him. I'm not going to be uh, submitted. And this is interesting, isn't it? Because this is not only uh, Herod's reaction, right? Every people that hear the gospel and don't like to submit to Christ is fighting against Christ. So you see, congregation, in this world, there is no neutrality. You can uh, fight against Christ or you fight for Christ. There is no third option. All of those famous people, all of those uh, great uh, stars of Hollywood, all of those who hear the gospel, but they mock the gospel, they are fighting against our, against our king. And therefore, that makes them enemies of God. Now, please, please read with me verse 7 and 8 again. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me, that they may come and worship him also. So here we see the explicit plan of Herod. His plan is to use the wise men for his own purposes. Herod is planning to send them, and as soon as they come back, he is planning to kill the Messiah, the newborn, the newborn king. So, as you can see, Herod is a very dangerous person. Notice also the words that he is using. He is not saying, go and uh, find him, and then tell me, so I will kill him. Is he saying that? No, he is not. He uses sweet words. He uses words that try to convince them. So they, they try to conv convince them that he, uh, he also is a believer. But is he? He's not. He is a liar. So in Herod, we see a personification of that snake in Genesis 3. He is very crafty. He is indeed uh, one of the sons of the devil. Now, especially to you young uh, boys and girls, understand this. Many of those who hate the Lord will do anything, anything to take advantage of you. They will not hesitate to lie to you just to get what they want. And this apply, applies everywhere. Therefore, congregation, what can we say about Herod? Herod is an impostor. He is not the real king, and he knows it. He knows that the time for the real king has, has come. Therefore, he is afraid. But contrary to Herod, congregation, Jesus is the real king. He has no need of gaining power. He has all the power of the universe. Contrary to Herod, Jesus doesn't need to be proclaimed king. He is king. He has born king. That's what the, the wise men said to Herod, right? Where is he who has born king of Israel? The contrast in this narrative in Matthew is between a false, self-proclaimed king and a real king who rules the universe. Now, this also reminds us of a reality in our, in our own world and in our hearts. 
So let me ask you this evening, congregation. Who is the king of your heart? Is it Jesus? Or perhaps you have been slipping down with putting anything beside Jesus. Perhaps it's your family. Perhaps it's yourself. If that is so, remember, he is the king. And there is forgiveness in the king. This leads us to our second point. Showing Jesus, uh, showing Jesus being worshipped by the nations. Now, notice uh, with me the second characters of this narrative, the wise men. Read with me once more uh, verse 9. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. Isn't this interesting and curious? Who are living in Herod's palace? Just the wise men. Where is the company? Where are the scribes? Where is the people of God? They are alone. Just the wise men. Not only Israel has fallen in a spiritual slumber, but they also have no interest whatsoever in Christ, the long-promised king. The scribes, the priests, the, one who, the ones who have the truth and know the truth of God have no interest in Jesus. This is very dark times for Israel congregation. But also notice this. How easy it is for them or was for them to get used to the news of, of God's word. They just take it for granted. And how easy it is for many people to get used to the news of the gospel. That's what happened with the liberal churches, right? They get used to it, they take it for granted, and they reject it. Now, at this point also, let me show you something else. Perhaps uh, an in indirect application for all of you boys and girls that are studying, perhaps in college, perhaps in high school or elementary school. You see these wise men, they came following a star. They were science men. men. But, uh, you know, in the purposes of our God, God shows them something better. A, a brighter star, a bigger star, Jesus Christ. So in God's purposes, this uh, worldly science wasn't far from God. Now, you boys and girls in the school have better uh, instruments than they had before, but you have something better also that they had. You have this, God's revelation, complete revelation, beautiful revelation. Therefore, we can go out and do math for the king. We can do farming for the king. We can do science for the king, showing them that we are not afraid, that we can uh, worship our king with our obedience in our daily lives, that we can uh, bring Christ's glory with everything that we do. 
Now, uh, please let me read uh, verses 10 through 12. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened the, their treasures, they present gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they depart from, for their own country to another way. Having seen the star, the wise men come before the presence of the King Jesus. And what do they do when they see him? They worship him. They fall in awe before his presence. And this congregation is perhaps the most beautiful part of this narrative. You see, the true king here is not worshipped by the Jews. It's worshipped by the nations. In this small fragment, we see how the, the word of the Lord comes to be a reality. The Lord has pro had promised to Abraham, remember, that he will bless the nations in him. And the Lord had promised to David that there always will be a king over Israel. And here we find that fulfillment. Jesus Christ is the one who blesses his people. They come from every tribe, tongue, and nation to worship the king, like you, like me, this evening. He is king of kings, lord of lords. He rules, he governs, he conquers. This is our king. Now, let me just repeat you this. Matthew starts his gospel with the genealogy of Jesus. Then he talks about how Jesus is born to, to save his people from their sins. And following that, what is the first narrative that Matthew writes concerning the first conversion in this gospel? He tells us about the conversion of hidden men. Some people that were despicable to the Jews, the Gentile dogs, as they used to call them, the useless Gentiles. Those are the ones who find acceptance before Jesus. Those are the, one who, the ones who worship the, the King Jesus. So listen to this congregation. Because the Lord said this in Daniel uh, chapter 7, 14. Let me just read it for you. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. Therefore, congregation, in this small fragment, there is a small picture here of what will be the heavens and the new earth. Here we have a small exposure of what the kingdom of God, the consummated kingdom of God will be. The gospel of Christ proclaimed to the nations. A kingdom, brothers and sisters, that is being advanced here in Pella as you worship today and as you serve the Lord and a kingdom that is advancing Kido also, as they worship today too with us, and they serve the Lord in Ecuador. That is the wonder of this portion, congregation, that we, like the wise men, were cast out. We didn't deserve this, but God sent his star, Jesus Christ, to us, and he showed us 
Jesus, the long-promised king who rules and governs the universe. And just listen, it is because Jesus is this promised king. The gospel of Matthew ends like this. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the earth. Magnificent good news about our King. Magnificent uh, aim to go and serve our king because you and i are accepted before before his presence amen shall we pray father in heaven thank you for um, your word and we thank you because we we understand that we didn't deserve this mercy but you wanted wanted us to be part of your people thank you for electing us even Though we were far from you, please help us to remind these words so we can go to the world and shine brightly the light of your gospel and witness to others about the great salvation that we have in Christ. This we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen.